Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 133, a conversation with Chelsea Gomez. Chelsea is the artist known as Oh, You're So Tough. She is a two-time survivor of Hodgkin lymphoma and owns a non-traditional cancer brand of the same name, Oh, You're So Tough, which emphasizes humor as a way to cope with cancer and chronic illness. I've been following her work online for a long time, and I am thrilled to speak with her today. She has cultivated a large community on social media, and she uses her art to advocate for the AYA, Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Community, and the cancer community as a whole. She's published several children's books and adult coloring books focusing on various aspects of cancer. Chelsea hosts a virtual art club for AYA patients in conjunction with Gilda's Club and is a recurring columnist for Elephants and Tea Magazine, among much more. On today's episode, we talk about it all. Chelsea talks about how her cancer diagnosis and treatment led her to realize what was lacking in the cancer community, how that prompted her to make her first drawing, to express how she really felt about having cancer rather than what other people told her she should feel and how it transformed from a sketch to all of the incredible work that she is doing now. We talk a lot about the language that we use around cancer, how phrases such as let me know how I can help can be unintentionally hurtful, the importance of communication in the doctor-patient relationship, misinformation on social media, mental health, financial toxicity, and so much more. I know I say this every week, but this one's a must listen. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Chelsea Gomez to the Interlude Podcast. Chelsea, hi, thank you for being here. Hello, thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Yeah, so my name is Chelsea Gomez. I am the artist um, known as Oh, You're So Tough online. And I am 32 years old. I'm from Florida. I am a mom of one little girl who's seven. Uh, And I also own my own basically non-traditional cancer awareness brand of the same name. Um, Published a couple books too, which is fun, like some non-traditional coloring books (laughs) that don't suck for cancer (laughs) patients. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I do a a whole lot of stuff, uh, but mostly just centering around cancer and coping with it with a humorous twists rather than so much of the I'm so brave I'm so strong type of vibe I love that and I want to hear all about that can we kind of go back a little bit to your own cancer diagnosis and what that was like and kind of how it led you to starting this brand yeah so in 2018 I was working full-time a lot of hours like 70 hours a week and was really tired which obviously anybody would be Mm -hmm. um and I started having some weird symptoms uh weight loss which I wasn't really trying I was on like Weight Watchers but it never worked so I was like oh maybe it's working now and (laughs) um you know some brain fog and some things and then one day I felt um on my neck on the base there was a lymph node that was swollen and long story short it turned out that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma and I went through the regular course of treatment and about three months post treatment, I was back at work trying to pretend like cancer never happened to me. (laughs) And all of a sudden I had a scan and something inside of my chest grew. So they did a biopsy. I relapsed and I was right back (laughs) into treatment. But this time I uh, chose to go to Mayo Clinic for my relapse. And I'm really glad I did because they took really great care of me. But 
actually ended up that I had a stem cell transplant on April 1st of 2020. So my rebirth day is in a few days. <laughs> and I've always, day? thank you. I've always said like, hopefully it was April Fool's that I had cancer. <laughs> like maybe I never had. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I obviously during 2020, a lot of states shut down and that was the same with Florida. So everything was shut down in Florida while I was in the hospital for my transplant. And so that was really scary because you have no immune system. And we had to take my daughter out of daycare because, you know, daycare germs and all of that. So we took her and I had her home with me full time, even though I was still just recovering from a stem cell transplant. Yeah. So I just randomly one day decided to download Procreate and get an Apple Pencil and draw and kind of have an outlet because I was stuck at home recovering with a toddler and it was a lot. So I started making just things that expressed how I truly felt about having cancer and not what everyone else says I should feel like. And it really has just grown organically from there. Um, My Instagram was just my Instagram. It had nothing to do with anything like this. And it just, I started sharing and people were like, hey, I feel like that too. And And here here we are. are. (laughs) I mean, I I think it really speaks to the need, right? That that Mm -hmm. was out there and that people weren't getting what you know, before you started creating and sharing, people weren't getting that. And I think we still see to this day, you know, the you're going to be fine and you're a fighter and, you know, you're going to win this battle. And and I think what you put out there is so much more authentic and real. And people really resonate with that. Do you remember the first thing that you drew? Yes, actually. I was sitting outside with my daughter because I know we had to get out of the house and we had to play socially distance away from my neighbor. <laughs> so it was like their little girl, me, and then sitting far away. So there's nothing really we could do. They were just kind of playing. Mm-hmm. I had my iPad out there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to draw a lymph node. I don't, I just drew my interpretation of one and I wrote my lymph nodes are a-holes and that was my first ever design. And that is still a design that I have today that sells all the time, you know, for lymphoma patients, which is really cool. But yeah, it was, you know, like you said, there wasn't a lot of this out there and that's a hundred percent the case because I was looking around everywhere going, this can't be the reality, like where I'm just like super, you know, lost and confused and sad and everybody else is just like smiling and jogging down the street and climbing Mount Everest, you know, after, after cancer or with cancer. I'm like, this just can't be the reality. And, you know, I kind of did share uh, some things kind of along the lines of what I share now on YouTube and some videos uh, during my recovery. And, uh, you know, people were kind of shocked, like, oh, we shouldn't say, let me know if you need anything. There's better things to say. What? You know, and I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, there yeah, is. <laughs> that's not that's not a good one. Yeah. And I, I always come back to the fact that I do think, maybe not everyone, but I do think people are trying to do good. You know, and I think they're trying to be helpful and they just don't know that they're not being helpful and that they're actually probably being really hurtful. Um, and so I think what you put out there and the more we talk about it, even if one person realizes, hey, you know what, there's a better way to say that, that can help somebody. Yeah. And I always tell people, I always have, um, you know, in mind that I think people have good intentions. That's just how I am. You know, I typically look at everything like that. But I say, you know, 
if the person does have good intentions, then they would be okay with you saying, hey, that kind of hurts my feelings or, hey, that's not the way that I want to be referred to. Like, I don't feel like a warrior or a fighter. And if they are truly there trying to support you with the best of intentions, I feel that they would be open to hearing that because I know that most people do want to know how to better support people. And mm-hmm. if you do get a reaction like, oh, excuse me, you know, it that they weren't coming from the right place, in my opinion. Exactly. And, you know, for people listening who may not know why, you know, maybe are thinking, wait, why, why is it so bad to say, let me know if you need anything? You know, I know what I say, but I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on, you know, what are some of those trigger phrases phrases that really don't sit well with someone going through treatment? So in regards to let me know if you need anything, the reason that it's not beneficial or helpful to somebody who is going through a hard time, whether it be cancer or not, is that it really shifts the burden of wanting to help onto the person who's already going through a hard time. So I would suggest if you do want to help somebody, you give them specific actions and limit the choices. So, hey, I want to bring you dinner on Thursday. Do you want pizza or Chinese? It's that simple. Or, hey, I'm free on Wednesday. Can I come, you know, watch your children for an hour for you while you nap or your dogs or your cats or whatever it may be. So that one for sure is one that just kind of falls on deaf ears a lot of times. And the person who's struggling probably won't ask you for help. Uh, another one is good cancer. <laughs> there is no good cancer. And so many people throw that out there as a way to kind of comfort someone like, hey, at least you have a, a good cancer. Even my first oncologist, I think he said that probably my first appointment. That was like a major red flag now looking back. But yeah, yeah there, I, there's there's ways to say it as far as saying, hey, you know, I, re- I researched your cancer and I see it has great outcomes. That's awesome. You know, how are you feeling or something like that. But just saying good cancer those words just don't go together in my opinion no there's no there's no such thing as the good cancer I mean and I always that's that's actually what I always say to patients I'll say exactly that I'll say there's no such thing as the good cancer but you do have you know better prognostic features or within what we can be dealing with you know this is on the better outcome side yeah and some person one time said why are you upset by somebody saying that your cancer is good you know, that should be a good thing for you because you can, you know, go into remission or whatever. And, you know, I kind of told them like, you know, Hodgkin's was presented to me as such a good cancer. And then here we are two years into it. I'm getting a stem cell transplant. I've lost my fertility. I have, you know, chemo brain to the nth power, you know, this, nothing is good about it. Although there's different outcomes, it's just not the best way to support somebody. And it's hurtful because somebody will be like, Oh, if it's so good, why don't you have it? <laughs> you know, and and I also think it invalidates the emotions, right? It makes it seem that you shouldn't. Can we hear this a lot in terms of like, and I and, and patients will talk, will frame it themselves. Well, I should feel lucky that I didn't need chemotherapy. Why am I complaining, right? I see this in my office all the time, and I think when you tell someone, oh, you have the good cancer, or you're lucky you don't need chemo, is that you know, it invalidates all the other things that they're feeling, right? Or like if people didn't lose their hair, it doesn't mean that anything that they felt was any less important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it creates a situation where people feel uncomfortable or they feel worried that they shouldn't, they shouldn't talk about the things that they're struggling with because it's the good cancer. Well, even in that, you know, same lane, I think that happens a lot with a lot of us where we want to authentically say, hey, I'm having a hard day today or, hey, this really sucks. And most what we call cancer muggles, which are people who are not familiar with cancer or think they are and they like to insert their opinions, will automatically say, you can't think like that. You need to be positive. You need to just keep going. And it's 
it's dismissive and you can feel like that. It does suck. And it doesn't mean every day is going to feel so bad, but the whole experience of having cancer isn't a good one. And I don't know why the media and the rest of society a lot of times likes to portray it as if it's some like spiritual awakening. I mean, maybe it is for some people, but for a lot of us, we're just like, this sucks. I mean, that's just it. And, and even, and I think there's, so two points, one is that it's more than just living, it's thriving. And it's really, you know, no matter how old you are, no matter how quote good or bad it is, I'm putting that in air quotes, it's still a life-changing event, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're one day you didn't have cancer and now you do. And now you're full of doctor's appointments and you're a patient and you have all these things that change all these side effects. So in that regard, I think it's really important to recognize that. But the other thing is I just learned, I was giving a talk on mental health and and breast cancer, and I was reading about different coping strategies. And this is something I kind of knew, but realizing that everyone copes with things in a different way. um, And one of the coping strategies is kind of the positive framing, you know, and that really works for some people to say, okay, I'm having a hard day, but I'm lucky, or, you know, I feel grateful. That works for some people. Another one is avoidance or distraction, (laughs) emotions where you write or draw or talk about. And what I realized as a clinician is that if I know, if I have an idea of how people cope, I think it does help with how we have that conversation because I have found, you know, that I have some patients who I actually, they really respond well to, okay, we're, this is not great news, but we're going to stay positive. Whereas other people would probably want to punch me in the face. If I <laughs> um, so I think that's an important point that really has kind of been sitting on my mind recently. Yeah. And I always say, you know, if you find comfort in phrases like, you know, being called a fighter or a warrior, I'll never take that away from you. That's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. But you also have to hold space for people who don't feel that way mm-hmm. and respect it, you know, just well, like anything else in life. And, you know, being a provider, I know it's a whole different world, but the fact that you are cognizant of how somebody might want to be approached can truly make a difference because, you know, I do a series on my page, you know, WTF Wednesday or Salty Mm -hmm. Sunday, where people send in anonymous submissions of experiences they've had. And a lot of times it is providers who say, offhand comments that maybe they don't think much about, but the patient holds on to it and they, you know, feel either offended or sad or worried or whatever it may be, or dismissed a lot of times. And if you can take just a couple extra seconds and get to know the patient a bit better, especially AYA patients who are literally being plucked out of the prime of your life and being thrown into the land of the sick while all your friends and family are still continuing on and you're just sitting at home like, wow, I'd love, really love to have gone to the Taylor Swift concert, but I'm immunocompromised or something like that. that, Mm -hmm. And you're right. You're really plucked out of that. And I think the challenge and someone I had on the podcast a while ago said to me, you know, whatever a doctor says to a patient, you, you have 15 minutes with them, you say your thing, and then you move on and you're now on to the next patient, except that the patient takes those words and they may affect you for a day, a week, a month, a year for the rest of your life. And as doctors, because we often don't get that feedback from patients, because ultimately no one wants to it's, these are hard conversations to have, right? And I think it's hard for any of us to say, especially in a in a doctor-patient relationship to say to your doctor, you know, that really was hurtful for me, right? Yeah. Some people are able to do it, but not everyone can. Um, and so I think sometimes there's not that feedback that, you know, what you said actually was really 
hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I, I would be scared. I would honestly be scared to say that to my doctor. I was scared to get a second opinion. I thought I would be offending someone mm-hmm. if I did. Like that's where I, my frame of reference, you know, going into never having a major health problem to suddenly being in the chemo chair. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I guess this is what I need to do. I didn't look into it any further, which, which I tell patients now, you know, if a doctor is offended by you getting a second opinion, that's a red flag. Like you should be allowed. You should get out. I I actually bring it up to every new consult so that I validate that. So that if they know that they know they can get a second opinion and I've, I've made it like, obviously it's okay, but I, yes. I, I just tell them like, I'm not going to get offended. And if you need me to talk to the doctor, like I'm happy to do that. So people feel like there's no secrets. Cause I think that's where you compromise the relationship, but you're right. And you know, the reason, the way that I actually learned about how to talk with patients is not, not in my office. It's by through my podcast and by being present on social media and really interacting with people who are dealing with cancer in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that a lot. I've actually had um, several like healthcare professionals reach out to me to say, hey, thank you for you know sharing this because I didn't realize these little things make such a big difference. And if I changed my approach that I could really connect better with them or, you know, kind of have these conversations about mental health up front, which a lot of people don't get or, you know, we just kind of feel a lot of times that once you're done with treatment, it's like, see you in three months. Bye. And yeah. And so like you ring the bell, you're so happy, la la la. You go home and you're like, whoa, I had cancer. <laughs> like what just happened to me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is hard too when you call, I mean, the oncologist is not a mental health professional. However, they're dealing with some people who are going through some serious stuff. And so having a plan in place, I never had a survivorship plan, not at my first oncologist and not now even at Mayo Clinic. And I think that's a big, you know, place that they could do better. Like, give mm-hmm. me what I need to know. Do I need to get tested for heart damage? Do I need to, you know, I, ha- I went into menopause and I had to ask when I had horrible hot flashes, should I be going somewhere for this? And turns out I needed to be on hormones, you know, to not have bone damage. And that's not something that was ever discussed with me. Survivorship historically, and I think it's getting better, but historically has been like, all right, you're done with treatment. And as everyone knows, who's gone through it, that I, I think the hardest part is actually when you're done with that treatment. Yes. I know, I know that's controversial. Sometimes people don't necessarily, because I know, let's just acknowledge some people don't end treatment. And so I give us, I hold a special place for those people. Absolutely. But it is when you do try to take your life that got broken into a million pieces and piece it back together and you're confused and you're not the same person and the people around you think you are and you're trying to fit in with what they think it's I often say that getting a cancer diagnosis is kind of like the death of who you were at the time I have figured that out that a lot of things that I was feeling during treatment was grief for myself that died I that's just the reality I don't have the same dreams I don't have the same life yeah and, and you have to hold space for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we don't talk about mental health enough. And I don't think we refer to therapy enough. And partly, yes. partly is because we have a huge crisis in this country where we don't, where insurance doesn't pay for therapy. Mm-hmm. Yes, I still deal with that. No, even for my daughter, trying to get her, you know, help after having a parent that went through cancer. Yeah. Oh, we don't accept insurance. We're, we're full. Like I called every town around where I live, even up to an hour away. And it's just like, sorry. Yeah. And and the problem is you're asking people who've experienced a significant financial toxicity 
in the AY population, especially who lost their jobs, who don't always have, or not lost their jobs, maybe didn't work during treatment, and who don't always have a savings to fall mm-hmm. back on. And now we're asking them, oh, you need therapy, but we are, it's going to cost you hundreds of dollars if you're lucky to find someone. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who I won't obviously mention her name, but she really struggled very badly after treatment and up to the point where she was recommended to go into like an inpatient uh, mental health facility and her insurance wouldn't pay for it. She didn't have the money to pay for it. And so she was just like, what do I do? And I, there was nothing I could say. And I hate to say like, my mind goes to make a GoFundMe. Why the hell should we have to make a GoFundMe in order to get mental health treatment? It's it's awful. I, I can't tell you how many times a day I tell people to make a GoFundMe. And it, it, it like pains me to say this, but for things like scalp cooling, which is thousands of dollars because insurance won't cover it, for therapy, for, you know, the wages lost because you have to take time off work, like you can't afford your co-pays. The fact that we have to literally crowdsource for money, mm-hmm. to get patients through treatment mm-hmm. is it's horrifying. awful. It's horrifying. It's like, GoFundMe is not a, a health insurance plan, but that's like what it becomes. And, yeah. you know, we have people outside of us who, you know, sometimes judge people for making a GoFundMe or asking for help. And I don't like I didn't make one until I relapsed and I truly hadn't been working for like a year and a half. And my husband was the only one working and it made me physically ill to make one because I am one of those people that truly does everything on my own. I've, you know, put myself through college, paid for my wedding, all that stuff. So to sit there and be so vulnerable to say, I need help. I think people outside of this don't see just how bad things must be a lot of times in order for somebody to ask for help. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting too, if a friend or a family member makes a GoFundMe, it's almost viewed in a better way than if a person makes a GoFundMe. and, And we just need to stop that. I agree. And it's if you need help, you need help. And that's one thing I struggled with is never accepting help. You know, I would just say, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. And then, you know, when I relapsed, I was like, oh, no, I don't got it. So I need some help. (laughs) And I it takes a lot of bravery and courage to speak up and say, I need help. That is, I think, one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. and, And same with like bringing it up to your health providers. It can feel shameful, you know, and you may be scared that what are they going to say if I say like, I feel this way. Are they going to judge me? Are they going to think I'm crazy? And it's like, no, what you're going through is so common after treatment or even in treatment. But the thing is before now, nobody was just talking about it. It was just swept under the rug. And in general, I think people, people, doctors included, don't like to talk about things we can't fix. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're struggling I think, and I say this a lot, I will say, I'm sorry, I, I recognize your concerns, I feel you, I validate them, but I don't, we don't have a great solution to this right now. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good thing to say, because you're being open and honest, rather than just kind of saying, well, it's not that bad, or, you know, you're in remission, or you got this, it, it's better to be straightforward and say, listen, this does suck, but I don't have a way to fix it right now. You know, here's what here's some suggestions or here's some support groups or whatever it may be, but you're not just giving them false, you know, hope or just, or just dismissing it because you can't fix it. And I will add that I think I find it very helpful when patients actually come out with exactly what they're looking for or what they want. Yeah. And I know that's not easy, but I, I, 
commend the people that do. And I think we just have to get better with like having tough conversations in general, exactly. <laughs> you know? especially as young people, as young people, we're very like, um, I don't want to inconvenience you, but I'm a little bit depressed. And could I have some medicine? And, you know, we need to be like, hey, I'm depressed. I need help. Like, yeah. you're my doctor. You're not going to judge me. You're mm-hmm. a doctor. You've seen it. Seen and it we, all. yeah, like we have these exams and especially, you know, you do breast yeah. cancer things. You have like the most intimate exams, but we don't want to tell them if we're depressed. You know, it's like. Exactly. Or, you know, I think this comes up a lot. I see this come up in conversations with medical marijuana or just Mm -hmm. marijuana in general. People think we're going to judge them, which is not not true ever. Um, You know, or other things. And I think sometimes, you know, you're having this conversation and you almost feel, I will feel sometimes like there's a disconnect, like I'm missing something, right? Like, what are we like? And sometimes I will say flat out, like, I just don't think we're communicating well. Like, can you be straightforward about what you know what you hope will come out of this conversation because when I say that very often where I thought we were going is not at all where the patient was hoping to go yeah and I'm glad you brought up the medical marijuana because I think that is a big thing especially in this population a lot of people use it and it's okay you know there's there's legal ways to use it or whatever but I in my first oncologist's office I talked to a lady that was my same with my same oncologist and she was like hey just uh as an aside don't bring it up if you choose to do medical marijuana because I did and he hasn't ever seen me since he's just sent me to the nurse practitioner so those things are happening and so me I was like oh okay and I never looked into it and I never Mm -hmm. until now I'm like okay I needed to sleep you know I would rather be on that to sleep than on another like psychiatric drug to sleep. No, thank you. <laughs> That's the thing, right? I, and we think nothing of prescribing the Xanaxes and the Ativans of the world. And look, I think there are really good uses for them mm-hmm. when they need to be. But what we don't talk about is that those drugs long-term have cognitive dysfun- decline and like can have been shown to increase the risk for dementia. And so if you start them at a young age and continue on, you know, again, it, it might be good necessary for some people, but we don't think anything of those medications, but marijuana, there's such a stigma and it really has a lot, a lot of helpful side effects. It means uh, it helps with symptom management in a really good way. And I think even if you're a doctor that doesn't necessarily buy into it or doesn't agree with it, you could still talk from a place of facts and say, yeah. here's the facts on it without giving your opinion or just like, here you go. Because Otherwise, like you said, people are going to keep it inside and there's going to be something that's missing. And I understand what you're saying because I've been the patient not saying everything because I was afraid or, you know, (laughs) to be judged or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it did hurt me because, you know, maybe you can't give me the right recommendations because or the recommendations you make are right for what I told you, but it's not right for the reality. Exactly. And we all have to remember that, you know, at the end of the day, the two people in the room are, are human beings, right? Mm-hmm. With faults and flaws. And we're, none of us are perfect communicators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think a lot of times the, the disconnect that happens is because of the communication. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I have a friend that's a survivor and a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I often like to like pick her brain, like, what is it like, you know, and she yeah. kind of truly got her life turned upside down to go from the doctor to the patient. And so she really has changed her whole approach with patients based on her experience, which I think is pretty neat. But I don't think, you know, like you're doing, you're 
looking at our social media, you're understanding the perspective, you know, that can be done even if you don't become a patient yourself. Exactly. And I think it is our job as doctors to understand what our patients experience, especially if you are treating the AYA population, which has absolutely unique needs. And I, I think I know AYA, depending on what you go, is either 39 or 45, depending on which definition. But I think that as the world changes, you know, people in their late 40s, and we can talk about this whole aging out of AYA, Mm -hmm. what that's like. Um, But I think the lines get different because in your late 40s, technically you're not AYA, but you still have different needs than someone who's in their 60s or 70s. Yeah, I often get messages from people who are like maybe at the cusp of um, you know, maybe they're 40 when they're diagnosed and, you know, it ends at 39 in most definitions. And they'll ask me, you know, I just don't feel like I connect with any other group. I connect with the AYA experience. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel. And I'm like, then you're welcome here. And I know not everybody feels that way in the cancer community. You know, there's some events that are just for, you know, mm-hmm. this age group. And, you know, I have an art club that I do. And there's been a couple of people who are over the age limit and they've asked me and I'm like, yes, like come because I'm not trying to gatekeep anything based on age, especially when obviously if you're like 41 years old, you could still relate to somebody who is 39, 38, 37, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. And there's such like strict guidelines and I don't understand that. Like I get it. You have to draw the line somewhere, but I think inclusivity is important. Yeah. And you can make common sense. Like, Hey, this person's 42 years old. (laughs) They're not 78 years old, not that they couldn't somehow relate to us, but, you know, they're still a safe person to be authentically yourself around that they may understand your same experience. They're raising children, they're getting married, they're, you know, figuring out their careers still, even especially when you're taken out of your life, you could be set back five years, you know? Absolutely. And people are doing those things later, right? So the whole timeline cancer aside is shifting. So, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, people were having kids in their early 20s. And obviously that's still happening, but more and more the age is, is shifting. Yeah. And, you know, being a parent with cancer is a unique uh, experience too. And so, you know, pretty early on in me sharing my art, I connected with Bright Spot Network. Mm-hmm. If anybody's listening and they're a parent with cancer, they're a great organization and they're dedicated to helping parents through uh, cancer and kind of talking to your kids and things. And none of that was around when I first started going through it. So I just kind of did my best, you know, and now I see ways that I could have done better and I try to help people do better and, you know, learn how to talk to their kids easier. So let's go back. I want to hear about your art club, um, but I want to hear about kind of that first, so that first painting, that first art really takes off. How did you go from, okay, you know, people are sharing it, people are liking my content to building this brand, this business, this successful creation that you have? So uh, I think the first thing I posted online as far as sharing what I made was a symptom, like, little infographic about lymphoma because I was very big on, Hey, here's the symptoms because I didn't recognize them, you know, at all. They're very hard to miss sometimes because they're such everyday things. And I saw how it got shared and I was like, wow, okay, this might be a way to reach people who, you know, might not otherwise see it. So I've done like some TikTok videos and things with symptoms and I've gotten people who reached out to me say, hey, thank you for your video, because this is the only way I knew something was going on. And I went to the doctor. And so, you know, that just resonated with me. And also, 
I started feeling seen for the first time because people were saying, hey, I understand exactly what you're saying, that you feel pretty lost or you feel disassociated or whatever it may be. And I was like, wow, oh my God, like I'm not weird. It's it's normal. <laughs> so that just, you know, was so validating to me. And so to answer your question with the Etsy shop, I just kind of, I made a bag with that same phrase. I told you my lymph nodes are a-holes. And my husband was like, I don't know, like Chelsea, I don't know if it's going to go over well because so much of society is, you know, yeah. brave, strong, great, la la. I was like, oh, well, I'm not doing anything anyways. So let's just put it up there. And I'm one of those people, like if something doesn't work right away, I'm like, oh, I want to give up. <laughs> That's just how I am. Like, it sucks. I want to give up. But I think it was like a week into having it up there. I was kind of like, eh, nobody's bought. Maybe he's right. And then somebody from Australia bought it. And I was like, whoa, somebody from Australia is paying the shipping to get this little bag I designed over to them because it's resonating with them. Okay, maybe there are more people like me. And it has evolved a lot. I was like on a bag thing, a keychain thing and everything to now majority being like stickers and cards. I love making greeting cards. Because there was nothing like cancerversary or rebirth day or yeah, cool things for oncologists. I was like, I have, I just have a million ideas. And so greeting cards are like a perfect outlet for me. <laughs> and do you make them all or do you then print them? So I make, I print all the cards myself. I used to print all the stickers too, but it was becoming just too much. So I have a print shop that does my stickers and my shirts. And then I do all of the cards and then Amazon, uh, prints and ships my books for me thank goodness because I'm only a one-person operation like my husband's here he helps me but the whole business is just me like it's, I think it's so funny people reach out to me hi let's please forward this to the appropriate person <laughs> I'm like oh yes I will don't worry it's, it's me <laughs> uh, and also you're a mom and you're parenting and you're doing all so you're doing a lot um tell me about the books and the coloring books yeah so I resisted making a coloring book for a long time because coloring books are kind of a taboo gift for people with cancer in this age range because we get a lot of them. And so it kind of just seems like before you know it, you have 20 coloring books looking at you and you're like, how much coloring could I really do? But I saw an opportunity to make something that wasn't the traditional. So I made it fun. It has some cursing. It has some, you know, silly things, sarcastic things. And it's called if you give a cancer patient a coloring book, because that's like if you give a mouse a cookie, because that's all we were getting all the time. So yeah, so that was the first thing I believe I published. And then I made a children's book about uh, my daughter and I kind of going through the experience of seeing me bald and how I could normalize it and make it feel less scary for her. And that book has gone all over the world and I even I started crying like about six months ago I was reading the reviews which I try not to read the reviews on Amazon because they're just sometimes a little special (laughs) but um there was somebody I think they were in like Germany and they had a picture of themselves it's called stickers on her bald head because my daughter was putting stickers on my head it's a true story and she was this lady in Germany had posted this picture of her little like daughter putting stickers on her bald head and I was just like oh my god I got chills like I still do because this little book who it was by the way rejected by everyone in the whole publishing world of course like it sucks you suck what do they know yeah exactly so I was like you know what I do I guess I suck but guess what I don't believe you so I'm gonna go do it go ahead and figure out how to self-publish so I figured out how to do all that and before I knew it like I made a chemotherapy 101 book for kids to kind of make it much simpler because every book out there was kind of just the pictures weren't fun and inviting they were a little bit like 
creepy looking yeah. things. Okay, so yeah. I was like, yeah. and so I made a fun one of that. And then I made some books, uh, you know, one for grandma with cancer, one with for a dad, because there really isn't anything out there for dads. And uh, before I know it, I had like, I think I have like 10 or 11 books now, but I love writing them because I've even, you know, the chemo one really touched my heart because even people who were AYAs bought it for themselves. Like they're like, I just wanted something that was gentle to read rather than reading about chemo and these giant binders full of, you know, stock photos. (laughs) And I mean, I hear myself like going through side effects and I'm like, well, I, I wouldn't blame you if you just ran out the room right now. Cause you're literally going like, well, you could die. Um, yes, exactly. With multi-organ failure, it could be terrible, but like you really need this. So should we start next week? Right? Like you hear yeah. yourself saying this and it's just, oh, so I think having that gentle resources that people can read at home is really wonderful. And that's the way I kind of approach all my content is in a way that's fun. It's bright. It's, it's cute, but it still conveys an important message, which I think resonates with more people. Cause if it was just very stark and, you know, like, don't call it the good cancer. And it was very stark. It could be like, "Eh, what does that mean? You know, but when it's like with a smiley face and a rainbow and, you know, not that it's rainbows and glitter, it's far from it, but it's just to educate the greater population of people that aren't in this world. They're more open to looking at it and going, oh, that's cute. Oh, what does that mean? You know, and kind of understanding us better. I I love that. And, you know, it's not just for kids or patients or people with cancer I think anyone can really learn and because I think at this point given the prevalence of cancer there's not a single person in there in who's not been touched by cancer in some way exactly and if you think you're not let me tell you one day somebody somewhere in your life will Mm -hmm. be touched by it and it's better to even if they're, they aren't, it's just nice to have a frame of reference. If you see somebody with a bald head or you see somebody who looks like they're going through treatment and just understanding what they're going through, you know, and kind of having compassion for other humans, I think is very important. I try hard to understand all subsets, like mothers who are mothers of children going through cancer. I can't imagine that, you know, even though I've been in this community, I still am in awe of the parents And I try to understand their perspective and I try to communicate it to people because it's important. You know, it's not just all about the AYAs. It's not all about older people. It's not all about that. It's about us as a whole banding together to make change for everyone, in my opinion. And putting yourself in their shoes, even though if you can't imagine it, but I think what you said is holding space and asking people Mm -hmm. how they feel. Yeah, honestly, there'll be people that say, you know, things to me or ask me questions or express what they're going through. And I just say straight up, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not really familiar with that. Could you explain it more to me? And I think that's okay. I'd rather say that than just like, Oh, really? Oh, okay. Like good luck or whatever. I'm just like, Hey, what can you tell me? And it's okay if they don't want to tell me, but usually they're pretty open to saying, Oh yeah, let me educate you on mm-hmm. my type of cancer or what I'm going through or. And what comes, I think with having a public platform, or at least the way I, try to think about it is, you know, a little bit of responsibility, right, of making sure oh, yeah. that that we are inclusive and that, you know, it is not just one-sided. Yeah, and also misinformation. Like, I'm sure we've talked oh, recently about yeah. some misinformation on Instagram and somehow these things just catch fire and then I usually get a wind of them and I'm just like, whoa, what is going on? And making sure that I 
personally take time to research things that are sent to me. I don't, there was a time probably when I may have reposted things without deep diving into them. No, I don't do that. You know, I make sure I look at articles, I research, and there are times when I'm just not sure. And I'm just like, nope, I'm not going to repost that. Even if it's like the flavor of the week to repost it. Nope. I can't understand that. Especially, you know, a lot of times drugs come out for certain cancers and everyone thinks that's like the cure for that cancer. And so they send it to those patients over and over again. And those patients are like, um, that's a subset that's very rare and it wouldn't even apply to me. So stop sending it to me. And it just becomes hurtful to that person. So we just have to be aware, like just because it's a headline doesn't mean that it's necessarily accurate or it doesn't apply to everyone. Yeah. And well, and the challenge, and I talk a lot about misinformation is that the current social media algorithms create an echo chamber that feed into misinformation. So if, you know, we, for example, there's people who don't believe in mammograms and this isn't, we're not going to have that conversation, but, um, (laughs) but what happens is if they have a big enough platform, then they, everyone reshares their things and Instagram thinks, Ooh, this was a good one. And it'll yep. show you that every time, you know, on your, for your page. And, and so then it, that's in a way, you know, it's like a dumpster fire, honestly, of like yeah. information. Um, yeah. and, and it's like, it seems like the more scarier they present it, like, like if you don't stop eating sugar, you are going to not live. Like that's how they act. Yeah. And it's so I understand why people get like, oh my God, like, I don't, I want to, I want to survive this. I should stay away from this and this and this. So, you know, and then us over here are like, no, like, please, please, please no, please have some sugar. but um, they have like the blue check mark. They have the everything. And here you are just like, I know I'm just a girl down in Florida who had cancer once, but I promise you it's okay. You can have that, you know, ice cream bar. It's, it's okay. Fine. And it's interesting because when years ago, when I started, when I really wasn't doing a lot or hadn't really started on social media, people would come in and they would say, but you know, the internet told me I can't eat sugar. And I'm like, and I remember I have one patient, but when I met her, she said to me, um, you know, I I've given up, I've, I've given up all sugar. And, and she, she was miserable. And I said to her, please like, Go get a donut, please. <laughs> and and she didn't believe me because the internet told her. And like, look at that. You're the oncologist yeah. and she still didn't believe you. So that mm-hmm. tells you how strongly yeah, it, people know how to manipulate. But I also think that for health, you know, for mm-hmm. health professionals or people who are, you know, providing health content, there needs to be a different verification system. Yes, I think so. And like, research into what they're saying (laughs) before should be like I think Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the platforms should have like a committee that periodically looks at these high like these big posts and and because it really is damaging to public health they're very disconnected from you know review processes I've had things where you know maybe somebody got offended or whatever but it wasn't offensive it was just like an art piece you know where maybe Mm -hmm. It was just my opinion or whatever. And then they don't, I'm like, appeal or like, it's a funny joke I'm telling and they still say something. And I'm like, um, no, like, I'm not saying anything. I, you know, if you've seen my page, it's nothing ever like controversial, yeah. really, you know? So I'm like, and you can't ever get a real person. Nobody looks at it. They just go too bad. So sad. Bye. And I'm just like, okay. So I, um, 
you know, I have like the subscriber thing on my account. And so I do a subscriber Q&A, you know, weekly. And I try to, I really answer all of those questions. And, um, and anytime I mention COVID, the word COVID pandemic, they will flag that story. And they're like, you can't, that's not allowed. And, See? I, and I'm like, and then I appeal it and then eventually gets deleted. But they, I've gotten a bajillion messages being like, you are, your subscriber privileges are threatened because you posted this. I'm like, oh yeah, I get those threats all the time. It, I, I, you don't, I don't know if you've seen a video I made where I was just kind of like talking about posting on social media and like the responses you get. Yeah. It was just a silly parody. Okay. Nothing there up like within, I think maybe 10 hours, they had sent me a violation saying, oh, it's you're spreading misinformation. I'm like, what? Like, this is a parody video of our experience. It's nothing like this. So I That one they overturned, but other ones like where I was like looking on the boat, like that where, where's the new normal? They said something about that. And I'm just like, okay, guys, like whatever. Just, I just remove it. You just kind of wonder like who is in charge of this and where is like the real, like at, you know, where is the real health, like misinformation, you know, why don't we have someone looking at the awful like misinformation that goes on. Yeah. And then you could report misinformation and they just say, we found nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I do little, I try report. I used to report now. I don't because it, it's like a waste of time because they don't. Yes. Do and I just get angry, but I would report it and they'd be like, well, you could disagree with their content, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. I'm like, no, but it is right. Like, yeah. It's like, wrong. but yeah, they want to like, don't be having a parody video. That's a, not allowed. It's like, but we could just talk about X, Y, Z and it's wrong. And you're like, okay, Instagram, that's a frustrating part of having to like rely on these yeah. social media platforms. Sometimes, you know, I often, my friend Mark's often like, you need a newsletter, you need this, you need that. Because what if Instagram just kicks you off one day? And I'm like, I mean, I can only do so much, you know? Well, that's the thing. I have a newsletter and I, in, on lighter weeks, I'm able to get it out. And I did that yeah. for that very reason, because I want to have, you know, and I, my goal eventually is to move all my content to a website where people can search for it. And like, but I'm just one person and I have a full time. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're just like 20, one person, it's like, when do I do all of this? 20,000 things that I'm doing. And like, you know, it's, you can't do it all, even though I like to think that I can, you can't. Especially you like, okay, you're trying, you're being a doctor and all that. When are you going to have time to make all these like YouTube videos, TikToks, yeah. reels, everything? <laughs> I mean, a lot of it I do. It's like very, someone called me a couple months ago and they're like, well, give me the software and the plot. Like I want to start it. And so tell me what you use. I'm like, so I recorded in my office five minutes before I go home. And I post <laughs> it when I'm lying with my kids in bed before they fall asleep. That is the extent of like, yeah, you know, something fancy. Like my four-year-old doesn't like to go to sleep on her own. And she's like, li lie with me. And so that's when I post, that's when all my reels go at like 830. Yeah. And you just have yeah. to do it when you can do it. And I, you know, it's funny. I think you probably see all the people like, you need to post this time every day and you need to, and I'm just like, no, I can't do any of that. Like, it's just with my life and this is the way it is. And that's always how I've been. Like, this is me. This is the way I am. I'm not trying to be yeah. anything else. <laughs> what drives me crazy is people who will message me demanding posts. Yes. Like, it's one thing to say like, hey, you know, really curious about this. Like, are, you know, can you think about posting? But people are like, you need to do this. And I'm like, Thank you. Uh, that happens to be like, I I want you to draw this. And I'm like, okay, well, like I'll add it to my list as idea. But, you know, yeah. I can't do everybody's requests. And though sometimes I've, I've gotten that same thing. Like people are a little upset with me. And I'm like, hey, you know, 
I at least try to write back. I mean, a lot of people don't even write back and I write back to everyone. And that takes a lot of my time. It takes a lot of time. And that's really where I've started to draw a little bit of a boundary is like if people are asking, because I get a lot of questions in DMs and I just can't do that. You can't, yeah, you're a, it's not even a probably the right <laughs> venue to be so, doing that. Like, hey, um, no. And I don't, I don't for two reasons. One, um, you know, I don't have the time, right? And that's somewhere where I've decided like, I'm going to drop, I have like a standard response that I send, like, thank you so much. There's, you know, asking the Q and A or whatever. But also, you know, as a physician, you know, you really have to be careful with what information you give out online. And I don't give out any specific medical advice. And so when you post it in a story, right, it's not tied to anything. It can't ever be construed as like medical advice. So I really try to be very careful about how you engage because I think in, in this world, in this time we live in, we do have to be really careful about that. Yeah, because I mean, they're there's a lot of cancel culture, which, you know, it is what it is at this point. But, you know, if somebody may try to take it as far as, you know, if they feel like you were saying the wrong thing, they could be like, oh, I'm going to report you to the medical license or whatever it may be. It's yeah. like scary. And I, this has luckily never happened to me, but I know other physicians who people have gotten angry with them about something and like reported them to the medical board for like, you know, filming a video in their hospital or whatever, like something really like just petty like like mean yeah you know yeah and it a lot of times I don't know if you find but I find a lot of criticism I get online is not from the people that I'm actually even like in the community with it's like rando people Mm -hmm. getting angry with me for no reason at all and I'm just like do you even have why are you here (laughs) do you even go here (laughs) I will I will I will block those people like I I've stopped like I used to care about that I'm like no like you this is my page like you don't have to come here and be mean and what drives me crazy like if you're mean to me like I don't really care I don't have to read your messages what drives me crazy is when they come in and they start commenting on people share like the comments in my posts I think are more meaningful than the posts themselves it's that conversation among survivors and thrivers and people come in and criticize them and I will I will block that instantaneously because that is not the space I'm trying to create I do that too even when I just had that post the other day I had to just about um just about the change about in response to the school shootings that were here. And it was a very mild, like the least I could say with while still saying something. And I did that on purpose because I knew that no matter what, it's going to do some sort of controversy, but I didn't think that it would really be that dramatic, but I, I logged in. I don't spend all day on Instagram. I like, I have a business to run just like you're seeing patients. It's like, I look in the morning, I look in the evening. And when I got back on in the evening, I was like, Whoa, where does this people come from? And they were just being so abusive to people in this community that I just I block them and I want people listening to know you can block people it is okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know you do not have to put up with that you do not have to feel bad yeah they shouldn't act like it yeah they don't deserve access to you if you don't want them to yeah I I agree um and I speaking of posts I wanted to ask your opinion on your post um, and I have it here saved that you, it was from earlier this month and you said, cancer patients are not here to be your inspiration. We are just trying our best to survive. And I thought we could end with this because I, this comes up a lot, right? People say, oh, you're such an inspiration. And like, that, I'm just curious on, you know, what prompted that post and like your perspective on all of that. So what the background of that feeling to give kind of some context, when I first got sick, I went off on leave, but I worked somewhere, obviously, and 
those people rallied together and made a Facebook group and they called it like Chelsea's Unicorn Army and they had a place where I could update, but it felt less like people were interested in how I was really doing and more like five o'clock news as far as people wanting to see the latest, like latest in the tragedy or only be positive or, you know, I think I shared once or twice something like authentically how I was feeling. And I got a bunch of like, you can't think like it's the same we talked to. You can't think like that. Be positive. It's not that bad. You're young. Like you're fine. You're health. You're young and healthy. And I'm like, what? I have cancer. I'm not healthy. Okay. I might be young, but I'm not healthy. So I wrote a poem also that like the first line in reference to this is like cancer set a crown upon my head. And that's how I felt. I felt this weight of expectation to be a better person because of cancer, to do something with my life since I survived, to, I don't know, just a lot of expectations to be an inspiration, really. And we aren't doing anything to inspire people. Like, that is great if I inspire you, but at the same time, keep that internally sometimes. Don't just put it on the patient because especially let's say you were talking to me and let's say you had cancer and you're about to tell me how hard things are right now for you. And I say, you know, you're just so inspiring to me. Like you're just have such a great attitude. Are you then going to say what you were going to say? No, you're going to say, yeah. Oh, thank you. It just doesn't leave space for authenticity. And it's a lot of pressure. I, I, Thank you for sharing that because I think that's one of those other statements, right? That comes out a lot. And again, it's one of those people are probably thinking they're doing a good. Thing. And they go, why are you offended? And it's like, I'm not offended. I'm just telling you like how it's just such like a weight, like a backpack full of rocks that you're putting on me. And then also not allowing me to say how I'm really feeling because if it contradicts your view of me, then maybe I'm going to let you down or maybe you're not going to want to be there for me or, you know, maybe you're going to judge me, you know, and it's hard. It's like we were talking about young people oftentimes get ripped out of their entire life. Like a lot of people have to move back home and you're like an adult, you've been living on your own and now suddenly you're back in your childhood bedroom no, sorry. I don't feel happy about that. <laughs> I feel like it kind of sucks, you know, and I, I think it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So Chelsea, we could talk forever, um, yes. <laughs> but we do need to wrap up. Is there anything we didn't touch on or anything that you wanted to share? Um, no, I just, just saying that, you know, although we talk a lot about having these types of maybe not so great emotions. It doesn't mean like, I'm definitely a very positive person. I'm a very happy person. It's just that I think that people need to leave more space for all facets of human emotion Mm -hmm. and not be so uncomfortable with something that is not unicorns, rainbows, glitter. We would love it for it to be like that all the time, but it's not. And it doesn't mean that I'm not happy. It doesn't mean I'm not positive and just means that, hey, I'm real. (laughs) Like. I don't know if I told you this, I don't think I've told you this before, but I was on like a a call once at like Penn State to talk about uh, this type of subject. And I was just talking like I am now. And then when we got off, this lady was like, thank you for being so raw and real. And I'm thinking, girl, I'm just telling you how it is. <laughs> like, it's not even anything different than what I normally say. You know, it was just like, hey, no, but this is the real experience. So, you know, along with what we talked about earlier, 
talk to your provider, be real, tell them what you need. Like you're, I liked how you said that. And I never thought about that. Tell you exactly what we need and we can do that. And we should, you know, and, and I think the more, the more honest and open we can all be with each other, Mm -hmm. the better. Yeah. And I thank you for making the effort to learn more and do the extra work to do all of this, because a lot of people, not that I know they're busy, I'm not saying they have to, but just the fact that you do is going to make a lot of difference for people who are your patients and beyond. Cause I see, I didn't even know you did that Q and A. That's awesome. Yeah. And the fact that you take the time to do that is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I hands down recognize that I'm a completely different doctor now than I was before I really kind of started doing the social media thing. And so sometimes when other doctors will say, well, you're doing your internet thing again. I'm like, yeah, but it's really good. Like, but don't dismiss it. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm doing helping people better than I already was, you know, like I I'm doing I can, research. Hello. I can reach so many more people. And I think that's important. Where can people find you if they want to see your art, buy your books, coloring books, all that? So I have a website. It's www.ohyoursotough.com. Everything is there. So if you want to see examples of my art, links to my books, my store, my everything, you can find it there. And uh, obviously the most active place I am is on Instagram. And you can always, like I said, I do DM back. So if you have a question or you want to talk to me more about something we've talked about today, reach out. As long as you're nice, I'll write back. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Chelsea. I hope that you found it helpful and informative. And I took a lot from that conversation and I hope that you did too. But for me, I think the number one take home point is that we are always evolving with communication. It's something that we can all work on and it's okay to not be perfect, uh, but it's, you know, it's important to show growth and a willingness to ask and to have those conversations. You can find Chelsea on social media at Oh You're So Tough, and you can find her on her website at OhYou'reSoTough.com, and I will link to all of those in the show notes. Definitely make sure that you reach out and follow her because her art and all of the work that she does is brilliant. You can find me at Dr. Duplinski on all social media platforms, If you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast, I urge you to take a moment to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as that really broadens the reach and helps me get these conversations to more people. For more bonus podcasts and content, you can follow me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dr. Duplinski. And just want to thank all of you for being here Yesterday was doctor's day and I truly, truly feel that I'm a better doctor for being present on social media and being part of this community. And with that, thank you again. And I will see all of you soon.